weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Welcome along. We'll hear from Johnny Saxon on tonight's programme ahead of Ireland's Titanic Six Nations showdown with France. The team hasn't been beaten in over 12 months, so it's going to be our biggest challenge to, to date as this group. And uh, obviously, they've beaten us the last three times with, you know, since, uh, since Andy's been in charge. And so it's a huge, huge recap. We're at Old Trafford as Manchester United look to move level on points with Manchester City. The 2023 League of Ireland season was launched today with Shamrock Rovers still the team to beat. We've heard loads over the last number of years about the 80s team and the great team and the great, the great fellas. They're always coming and supporting the team. They're all, a lot of them come to the training ground. So it is in our faces that way and, and it's a good challenge. I think it's something that, as you said, our group are looking forward to trying to emulate. Nadine Doherty will round up the latest action in the Lidl Ladies National Football League and the NBA has a new all-time record point scorer. Looking for James, he's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter, LeBron James, a shot in history. You can text 51552 or email gameon at rte.ie. Game on on 2FM. Welcome along. I'm Dave Kelly sitting in for Marie Crow. With me in studio is Paul Corey. Paul, we'll uh, hear about some of your own uh, memories of uh, of watching the great uh, LeBron James in action later in the programme. But in terms of the, the football tonight and th- that game at Old Trafford that we mentioned, um, from a Leeds point of view, obviously they're playing United tonight. They're also playing them on Sunday, but uh, still no word yet on the new manager situation. A lot of names being uh, been mentioned. Just in terms of, I suppose, one name that would be particularly uh, familiar to uh, a lot of our, our, our listeners would be uh, Ange Postacoglu at Celtic. Should Celtic fans be worried, do you think, if Leeds come calling? Potentially. I mean, he, he may feel that he doesn't want to step into a Leeds team that's just sitting above the relegation zone at the moment maybe he feels that the job and that he's done at Celtic and the way that he's progressed that football club maybe he feels that there's there's bigger fish or, or bigger opportunities ahead for him but maybe maybe it's one that he'll look at and think Leeds is a big club I mean the, the way he's transformed Celtic maybe not from, from winning titles but just their style of play it probably fits into the mould of, of a Bielsa the way that he plays it's high energy it's, it's very open it's playing through the thirds and it's being creative and explosive of um, when you have the ball so it's one I think that Leeds fans would certainly lend themselves to but I'm not sure if he would feel that's the right move right now for him anyway Obviously a few years ago we had the situation with Brendan Rodgers leaving uh, Celtic to sort of mid-season and obviously he'd been very successful at Celtic but uh, certainly I think a lot of Celtic fans felt uh, you know disappointed but I suppose that's always the situation when when your manager leaves your club but uh, in the grand scheme of things, do you think ultimately Posacoglu probably will end up in the Premier League? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. I think it's only a matter of time before he, he does make that trip down based on you know the results that he's had as Celtic manager and also his, his managerial career before when looking after the Australian national team and the impact that he had there. So I think he's, he's somebody who Premier League clubs are looking at and have certainly got their eyes on whenever that opportunity might pop up. I think he'd probably be looking for something similar to Brendan Rodgers when he went to Leicester. They were very much a a solidified Premier League team, very much kind of in, in mid-middle table, qualifying for Europe, contesting for, for trophies. I'd say that's where he probably sees himself as opposed to a Leeds team that are probably short in confidence and, and just 
as I mentioned, just above that relegation zone. But I'm sure if there was a job to pop up in the likes of, let's say, a Crystal Palace, a Leicester, uh, a West Ham, he would certainly be top of, of many a list. And just in terms of Manchester United, obviously, as we said, uh, in a really good uh, run of form uh, of late. Obviously, they, they lost to Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. But in terms of the home form in particular has been so impressive. And uh, Marcus Rashford in particular in such a rich vein of form at the moment. Yeah, it would go to show you, wouldn't it, like what, what confidence can do for a player. I mean, there was only 12 months ago where there was question marks about his his future with Manchester United and whether or not he was going to be there longer term obviously Ten Hag has come in and and has regalvanised Marcus Rashford I mean his his run in the World Cup was good and it probably breathed a new lease of life into him and he's come back from the World Cup and he's just hit the ground running he, you can see it when he's in front of goal he just looks confident it looks like he's he's very composed and knows what he's doing and that's not something that you would have said 12 months ago so for Leeds tonight you, you've got to keep uh, Marcus Rashford under wraps and you've got to keep him nice and tight and try limit the amount of space and the the balls into his feet because he's shown over the last couple of weeks he's absolutely electric but for Manchester United the run of form they're on I know they're without Casemiro tonight who's who's you know questionably their, their most important player right now just the way he anchors that midfield they should have too much for Leeds just on purely on the basis of form Leeds are, are really struggling you can see the confidence is, is really zapped from those players and, and the you know, string of results will certainly suggest that they are in trouble because when you look at the teams around them, the likes of Everton, West Ham, Wolves, they've picked up points in recent weeks and, and the way Leeds are heading, they're certainly getting sucked into that bottom three. Yeah, certainly. Old Trafford, probably not the place you, you want to be travelling to when you're uh, out of form and, uh, as I said at the moment, uh, very much uh, struggling Leeds United. Paul Stay is going to be staying with us for the duration of the programme. We'll be having a, a detailed uh, look at the FAI uh, League of Ireland launch which took place uh, in Dublin uh, earlier today but uh, let's uh, switch to rugby and of course that uh, fantastically uh, anticipated Six Nations game Ireland against France at the Aviva uh, edging uh, slightly closer uh, the countdown very much on to that uh, big game um, at the weekend uh, being described as a potential um, Six Nations and uh, Grand Slam decider but let's uh, hear from one of the uh, the key players certainly from an Irish point of view uh, the Ireland captain uh, Johnny Sexton he's been speaking to uh, Michael Corcoran uh, uh, earlier today and uh, Michael asked uh, Sexton about the injury he sustained in uh, Ireland's win in Cardiff against Wales You know I obviously got a bit of a, a knock um, I got a dead leg and then uh, there was a little bit of confusion around having to go for HIA but look if there's any doubts go off do it and, and you know pass it and um, yeah all good to go trained fully all week and the thing about it from an Irish point of view and from a medical point of view, there's no chances taken on anybody. It doesn't matter who you are within this camp. Yeah, like we, we couldn't be clear. The lads here are outstanding with dealing with it and they do everything by the, the law and if anything they go above that. They, they, um, they make sure that the players' um, health and long-term and short-term, everything is taken into consideration. And uh, yeah, I... I the, the medical team here are top class so no, no doubt In relation to the game I mean a good score and a, a decent score and a nice look to it at the end but is it kind of pretty exciting the fact that uh, there's still an awful lot more to come from this team Yeah look we were happy with, with some parts but if ultimately it's our results in this uh, tournament and competition and we uh, if someone had told me we were going to get five points going to Millennium last week uh, I'd have literally bit arm off and run away um, so then obviously you have such a good start I don't know what you know obviously internally we expect to keep 
keep our standards um, as high as we can through the game. You know, we, we let them have access in the second half, especially the first 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, then when we got the ball back, we we probably weren't as uh, clinical as we were in the first half. And we, we took a, messed up a couple of plays and, and took a couple of wrong options. And uh, suddenly you're under pressure again. So lots to, lots to learn from, which is probably a good place to be, you know, coming into this week. And this week has to be a fast learning week, doesn't it? Because it's France at the end of it. Yeah, like the team that has, hasn't been beaten in over 12 months. So uh, it's going to be our biggest challenge to, to date as this group. And uh, obviously they've beaten us the last three times with, you know, since, uh, since Andy's been in charge. And, um, so it's a huge, huge week, yeah. It's a huge test, isn't it? Taking on a team who won the, won the competition last year, albeit in your own back garden. Uh, yeah, like obviously last year was an incredible occasion. I, I, I was obviously in the stands watching, um, which is never nice. But uh, the occasion that the the French put on that day was was insane. You know the the flags in the stadium, the crowd noise, the 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 whole occasion. And, and I'm sure we'll we'll do something different this week or this same same something same this week. You know the the Irish fans are very special when when they turn up and they know we need them and uh, we'll certainly need them this week. Does it give you an awful lot of additional confidence that you've gone to New Zealand, you've won a series there, you've beaten South Africa at the Aviva Stadium, you've gone to Wales, you've won there, the manner of the victory there. You know, winning matches like big, big games like that must give you an awful lot of confidence in, in your own ability, what you're capable of doing as a group. Yeah, of course. Like you know, We always gain confidence from results, but at the same time, there's always a performance element. So within all those games and some of the results being good, there was things that weren't good enough. And that's where I suppose the internally that, you know, the coaches do a great job there to keep us honest and to say this was good, this wasn't good enough. We need to improve this for this week. And and otherwise, you'd just uh, you'd stay the same the whole time. And you'd, so it's been it's been good the review process this week, uh, like it is after every game. So uh, yeah, we're lucky with the coaches that we got. You said uh, towards the build up to the game last week. I think it was maybe after the game. Actually, you said it that you were kind of pretty nervous in the build up to the game you know given what was at stake so is this week kind of a, a bit calmer at this stage or is there just an edge there is, is it a competitive Johnny Sexton edge or, or player edge ahead of a big game no I think last week was unique in terms of uh, just having the injury that I had having not played uh, or having played one in a little bit of games you know in the three months previously or since South Africa uh, to go into such a big game in mm. such a tough place to go physically as well as mentally because traditionally the end of the Six Nations Wales in the millennium whether it's the roof close or the way they play it's the highest load that we have in terms of physically most metres most collisions most so a, a mixture of all those things led me to sort of be a, a, a little bit more nervous than I normally but I've, I've, I'm always nervous before an international that's what I don't think people would realise you know when I, I did say it on, on Saturday. Uh, I'm nervous for every game, but this one was just a little bit higher based on those factors. And the final question, just given what's at stake on Saturday at 10 past two, you're standing in the tunnel waiting to come out, you're looking down the tunnel. What kind of thoughts are going through your head knowing that there's a, a big you know, hour and a half ahead? 
they're the moments that you live for, aren't they? They're the moments that you, you're going to miss when you're you're gone away from the game, and uh, you got to try and cherish them. Often you don't cherish them because you're so wrapped up in the, you know, performance and making sure you get everything right. You don't get a chance to soak it in. But um, they're special days, and we always say that. You know, this this is a special week, and you know, trying to take on a, a team like France at home is uh, it's where you want to be. Michael Corcoran speaking today to Ireland captain Johnny Sexton ahead of the Six Nations game with France at the weekend. Game on on 2FM. Now it was called the unbreakable record it stood since 1984 but last night it was broken by LeBron James. Looking for James, he's got it. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history. Does this now make you the greatest player of all time? Are you now the GOAT? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to let everybody else, uh, you know, decide who that is or just talk about it. But it's great It's great barbershop call, uh, talk. You oh, know, no, me, I, yeah. I want to hear you say listen, it, Listen, big fella, Brian. listen, big fella. I, I, I want to hear you say it, Bron, Bron. Me personally, say it, I, I, me personally say it you know, I'm going to take myself. I'm going to take myself <laughs> against anybody that's ever played this game. Um, you know, but everyone's going to have their favorite. Everyone's going to. You know, decide who they who, who their favorite is, but um, I know what I've brought to the table. I know what I bring to the table every single night, and, and what I can what I can do out on this floor. So, um, you know, I, I always feel like I'm the best to ever play this game. But you know, there's so many other great ones, and I'm happy to just be a part of their uh, part of their journey. Fantastic commentary and interview there, part of uh, Sky Sports NBA coverage last night. So, uh, as we said, uh, a new record breaker, uh, LeBron James, beating that uh, record that uh, stood since 1984 last night. Now, our man in America is uh, Jeff Shepard. And Jeff, uh, I know it's Super Bowl week and we get uh, big into that tomorrow night, but just give me a reaction or or a sense of of the reaction uh, to this story in the States. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a huge story, Dave. I mean, you know, look, it's been kind of like LeBron watched the last couple of weeks, you know, kind of counting down. Okay, he's got 250 points till the record, 200. When's he going to do it? Um, You know, there were some thoughts. uh, It might have happened a game or two ago, and then he sat out. So, um, no, I mean, this is huge. Look, I mean, you know, um, I've mentioned before on this show, like the, the NBA's current players have a history and a tie to the former players probably that's much stronger than I think any of the other professional leagues in America. So you've got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the stadium last night. You know, you've got Magic Johnson there and James Worthy, all these former Laker greats, you know, there to watch LeBron do this. And so I just think it's, you know, a really special thing that it happened in Los Angeles at home. You know, he's a Laker. Um, I think it really kind of puts into perspective. You heard Shaq talking to LeBron, you know, are you the greatest ever? I mean, you know, that is a debate. I think LeBron jokingly said, you know, it's that'll be barbershop talk forever. And, you know, it's still going to come down to LeBron and MJ. But, I mean, this is another one of those things where it just kind of pushes the thing, you know, the ledger a little bit more towards LeBron. I don't know if that'll ever get answered. Um, but it really is just a stunning feat for someone to accomplish. And, look, guys, he's averaging 30 points and he's 38 years old. It's not like he's, like – hanging around just to pick up these honors. I mean, he's still one of the best players in the NBA at 38 years old. You mentioned the the age, and that's what we hear all, all the time. We, we, we hear LeBron James, we hear the fact that he's in his late 30s, but in terms of what he can achieve 
in the future? I mean, obviously, he's already uh, the leading uh, all-time <laughs> point scorer, but what sort of a total do you think he could post when he finally does retire? Well, I mean, look, I, I don't think he's looking to shut things down anytime soon. I mean, he, you know, maybe he's not a Laker next season. I don't really know the exact details of what his contract looks like, but I, I don't think he's looking to shut this down, um, you know, this season or anything like that. Um, I, I mean, I think he's got, you know, a couple thousand more points in him. I mean, again, he's averaging 30 points this season. You know, he's he was the youngest guy over his career, the youngest person to hit 10,000 points, 20,000 points, 30,000 points. Now he's got the all-time, you know, scoring record. It obviously helped that, you know, he entered the league when he was 18 years old, you know, fresh out of high school. But, you know, his game has grown and matured, and, you know, he wasn't much of an outside shooter, and he's added the three-point game. And, I mean, he's just got every move in the book. Book, um, which I, I would like to mention, though, you know, when you talk about the fact that he broke Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made one three-pointer in his entire career. Everything else was in the paint, you know, hard-fought sky hooks and layups and dunks. I mean, you know, he he had to fight for every single one of those points. He didn't have the luxury of the three-point shot. And I just wanted to kind of mention that and put that record into perspective. It did stand for 38 years after all, you know. And what is a chip that that he would have to do for for many people to, I guess, be on a par or ahead of Michael Jordan? Is it more championships? I mean, you know, it would probably be one, you know, maybe if he got one more before he was. And look, a case can be made completely right now that, you know, he would be number one if you're picking a team from scratch. And and that's kind of what he was alluding to when he was talking to to Shaq last night. You know, he said in some other comments, if you're picking a team from scratch, he says, "I, I have the confidence in myself to say I would pick me I can do it all I can play all the positions he's played center he's played point guard he's played power forward and all points in between he can do it all he can shoot from the outside he can play down low and it's not that Michael Jordan couldn't do all those things if he needed to but I think maybe LeBron's argument is he's done it for a longer period of time again I think it's you know uh, six one way half a dozen the other I, I don't think you could go wrong with either one of them um, but, you know, the longer he plays and if he doesn't, you know, just fall off a cliff from a health perspective, you know, he's going to just bolster that case, you know, every night out. Paul, you saw the great man in action and you were underwhelmed. <laughs> well, it was a bad night at the office, Dave. Uh, it was it was back in, in 2014 when they were in the finals against the Spurs and it was game four. And uh, I had much free time in my hands at Sheffield Wednesday, so I was able to keep up with the NBA and catch up with the highlights. So I was actually glued to it during that season, and I managed to get over. And it was the time when uh, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh were, were really at their peak for for the Heat. But they came up against uh, a very good San Antonio Spurs team. And listen, he wasn't at his finest, nor was was kind of the the other players that night. But you could appreciate the size of the man, and not only the size, but I guess the his ability and his footwork for such a big guy to get around the court. And I guess like. Shep has mentioned there I just think it's it's incredible you know you look at the likes of Messi and Ronaldo LeBron James in that bracket their ability to stay fit and continually play at such a high level is incredible so yeah I was lucky I mean he's he's an athlete that I've certainly looked up to and admired from afar and yeah I was lucky to see him that night and Shep we obviously know a lot and we'll know more I suppose in the coming days and weeks in terms of his profile about LeBron James the basketball player the athlete but tell us a little bit more about uh, LeBron James the man well, yeah. So he's married. He's got three sons. He's got an, an older, his oldest son, Bronny James, is um, you know a highly sought after. Um, he's a high school player right now. 
Um, you know, he, you know, I think a lot of folks know the history of him, you know, growing up in, in Ohio and then deciding to quote unquote, take his talents to Miami. And he went down to Miami for a couple of years and won a couple of titles and then went out to Los Angeles and he won, um, another, he went back to Cleveland and won one. And then he won one out in LA when the pandemic was going on with the bubble. Um, but you know, look, he's a smart businessman. I believe he owns, um, a part of one of the EPL teams. Um, I'm the, the name, whoever it is, is escaping me, but he's done, you know, a lot of smart things off the basketball court he's much more than just a you know a basketball player he is in the parlance of our times guys he is a brand you know um and he does a good job representing himself and uh i think he's a billionaire too or if he's not he's pretty close to being there so it's not the bad it's not a bad time to be lebron james you know absolutely i think that steak chef in liverpool was a bit more valuable 12 months ago than it is now his steak in liverpool (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go that's exactly right Sharp, listen, it's been uh, great to talk to you. Um, Obviously, we'll be uh, delving deep into uh, Super Bowl tomorrow, but uh, certainly it was worth uh, having you on tonight to, uh, you know, to mark that uh, hugely significant achievement last night. And as I said, we'll talk to you again tomorrow about the Super Bowl. Talk to you then. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Game on. Football. The 2023 League of Ireland season was officially launched today in Dublin, and uh, we have uh, plenty of... uh, interviews to get through tonight. Let's start off with, I suppose, one of the most high-profile managers in the League of Ireland, Damien Duff of Shelburne. He has been speaking to Damien O'Mara and uh, he asked him just about the uh, strength of the Shell squad ahead of the coming season. Uh, I'd like to think a lot stronger. Um, I think there's a, a marked difference between the squad, the, squad, the, the team that started the season last year to now. Um, they look in great shape. They consistently improved during the season uh, last year um, listen words are cheap talk is cheap it's about doing it on the pitch yeah and anyone you know anyone who's anywhere close to Talca Park knows the support that exists for this club Inter- you know people saw that on the national level with the cup final I'd imagine the players you know when you've come that close you've seen how far you can push yourselves as a squad it just increases the hunger to to do something even more special at the club Absolutely, it's a, like I've, I've said since day one, it's a special club, it's a special stadium. I think there's a close bond between everybody down there at Tolka Park on match night. Uh, they're a 12th man, they were many times last year. Disappointed for them in the cup final, disappointed for the lads. Listen, I'm well over. Um, I think the biggest wake-up call and the biggest plus is that, you know, the lads will just kick on from it. They'll, it'll give them a hunger, desire, wake-up call, so to speak, and they'll just take their game to the to the next level to make sure next time these big games come along, they're they're better prepared. Just from a personal point of view, how do you enjoy or how do you kind of process the attention? Like even looking at the launch today, the scrum of people around you upstairs when you were doing your your newspaper briefing is far and above anyone else. Like, is that something you're comfortable with? Is something that you're aware of personally? Um, that's probably the reason, and no disrespect to you guys, that I didn't want to come. Uh, probably naive from me, but I'm always the one to probably give the sound bite that uh, gives the headline. I don't intentionally do it, but it's just me being being honest. Um, so, do I enjoy it? No. Um, am I used to it? I guess yes, but I absolutely don't like being in the... <laughs> The media, the headlines, contrary to popular belief, regardless of me doing our team, what have you, all I do and where I'm most happy, happiest at is on a pitch coaching or on a touchline on match night. So then is your barometer of success as much seeing the development of players and seeing stuff that you've tried to implement work as much as it is, like obviously you're judged on results on a Friday night or judged on a league table at the end of the season, but 
is your barometer of success much different when you delve into it? Um, well, listen, I'm, I'd like to think a winner of hearts, so we still, you know, dream about trophies. I still dream about Europe and get back to the Aviv and what have you. But here, as much as I love my career, I can safely say it sometimes, I'm sure Joey and the staff will agree, we, we might work on something on Monday to Thursday and it comes off on a Friday night and you win a game. Here, it's not far off uh, scoring a goal in your career. It's an absolutely amazing feeling. So I just love coaching players and building a football team. And like I said at the top of this conversation, I think the, the team, the squad, the club is in a much better place than this time last year. Just to finish, attendances are through the roof. Season ticket sales across the league are on the increase. Is the product, is the value of what's available to people at a weekend, is it still underrated? The product on the pitch? Yeah. Um, I think so. Definitely when you, you hear sound bites from people over in England comparing it to <laughs> so-and-so leagues, um, I think there is a real disrespect from the UK from certain people. But on the, on the flip side of it, people with knowledge of the game, knowledge of this league, they come, they scout the players, and here, there's a constant turnover going over every year. So that's, I guess, what dilutes the quality here. But listen, I've seen things in the Premier Division, the First Division, um, in my short time here that I haven't seen done in the Champions League up close in the Premier League up close so I'm a big big fan of the league and I'm a big big fan of my players and I love watching them and I love working with them Damien Duff speaking today to Damien O'Mara at the League of Ireland launch Paul um, shocker there Damien Duff doesn't like doing media <laughs> but I think we all we like to hear from him and uh, you know that's why I suppose he's uh, he is as we mentioned, one of the most high-profile managers in the league. And, uh, you know, he'll give you an honest answer. Maybe yeah. not the answer you want, but he'll give you an honest answer. Well, he is box office even after the games, you know. I guess one thing that you always get with him is is the brutal honesty about about himself and about his, how his team have performed and maybe what certain critics have said about his side. But it's going to be a really interesting one, Dave. You know, last year I'm sure he would have learned a lot about management but also about his players in the squad and, and where I guess they needed to strengthen and, and where they needed to patch up maybe some of the holes that led to some of their inconsistencies last year but by and large it was an incredible season like to, to take them all the way to the FAI Cup final I'm sure he would have never managed a never imagined at the beginning of the season I'm sure he'd be looking to continue on that journey he's you know kept by and large the, the foundations of the squad the likes of Luke Burns the Sean Boyds the Jack Moylans and then he's added bits and pieces of experience and younger players to to bring into that fold so it's going to be a really interesting season I mean he's he's one of a number of managers who are heading into their second season with the club the likes of a Tim Clancy at St. Pat's Stephen O'Donnell's second full season at, at Dundalk even Roy Higgins second full season at Derry so the quality on the pitch is certainly there but it's also going to be interesting to see how those matchups um, I guess meandered over the course of the season as we say, I mean, he got uh, Shelburne to uh, a cup final uh, last season and did, uh, you know, reasonably well. I think he'd be ha- happy with his uh, performance of his team in the league. But I suppose now, as you said, like it's, it's, it's a different test now, isn't it? Like he's, he's well bedded in now. It's a second season and, and you have to, you know, he'd be looking to improve on that and, and, and make uh, improvements in various uh, elements of the club mm. yeah I mean last year was all about consolidation I think he was very honest about that from from the get go that it was all about staying within the league because Shelburne had I guess yo-yoed up and down for a couple of years and he wanted to consolidate that and I think he did do that um, you know if you look at 
the performances at the beginning of the season the one that stands out for me was the opening game against St. Pat's it looked like there was almost a bit of naivety in their play and how they were trying to play it from the back and maybe didn't have the personnel to match that style of football and and as the season sort of progressed you could see that they were blending a bit of both they were a little more clever with the ball and they pick and choose their moments to, to play out and they did that very successfully one thing that I'm sure Damien Duff will, will look looking for is maybe just a, a little more consistency there was patches within the season where they went four or five games without a win or there was a bad patch here and a bad patch there if they could turn that around and maybe turn some of those losses into draws and draws into wins they'll slowly but surely make their way into more kind of a a mid-table team within the Premier Division and certainly the signings that he's made will definitely help along that journey I suppose he's the only person who can answer this question but in terms of his managerial roadmap and where he sees himself in five, ten years time um, he mentioned there about the, the media end of things and, and being pretty uncomfortable with that. Mm. Obviously, if he is to uh, progress uh, and, let's say, move to England or whatever, th- that is something he has to, he, he's going to have to deal with, isn't it? I guess he's the only one who can answer that question about where he wants to take his managerial career. I mean, he certainly seems like somebody who's very comfortable being in Dublin, very comfortable with you know, being a manager of a football club and his, and his family being close to him and I think that might have been something that when he was at Celtic might have been difficult to balance because as, as far as I remember his family were based here and he was obviously having to, to commute over and back over to, to Glasgow which can't have been easy but if, if you look at the progression of some of those players in particular and of the squad as a whole and how they played last year he certainly has the tools and he has the experience of working with you know managers like Mourinho um, even the likes of Roy Hodgson who I'm sure he would have learned an awful lot from and you can see the progression in some of those players of off the back of his coaching so he certainly has the tools um, it'll be interesting to see how they go this year whether or not he can bring them to the next level they absolutely do not have the budgets of some of the bigger teams within the league so he's always going to be constrained in that point of view but for desire for ambition and for passion about the league you will not meet somebody uh, or you'll struggle to find somebody as passionate about football within Ireland as Damien Duff Now Damien Amara also spoke to Stephen McPhail the sporting director of Shamrock Rovers at today's launch and of course all of the talk is about Rovers bid for that fourth league title in a row It's all we said probably since we won it back in, back in the winter so we're trying to trying to take away that from the players they don't speak about it to be honest we're trying to just take take uh, every game as head on and look forward to the challenge but to, just to talk about the group they are a group that constantly want to break new grounds be that group stage football in the conference league the Europa League the Champions League that I'd imagine they're not a group that want to emulate another team. They're a group, that, they're a team that want to look at that team in the 80s and go a step better. Yeah, because we, we've, we've heard loads over the last number of years about the 80s team and the great team, and they're great, they're great fellas. They're always coming and supporting the team. They're all, a lot of them coming to the training ground, so it is in our faces that way, and, and it's a good challenge. I think it's something that, as you said, our group are looking forward to trying to emulate and, and go maybe one more, but. The, the focus has to be on the daily stuff and making sure the standards are, are, are where they are and they don't slip because that's the most important. And is that why it's important to keep reinvigorating the squad? Like you, you appear on paper to have done great business in the close season. Well, yeah, listen, time will tell, but we've, we've got four really good players in that we feel that will make us better. And that, I think that's a challenge for us every year is to try and uh, get better on the season before. 
think the four new faces just brings that little bit of energy into the group and everyone's on their toes again and, and yeah we're looking forward to seeing the four boys go, go well this season Is it a difficult sell because like on the face of it you're coming to a team that's had so much success to play at a stadium like Tala is a unique experience in League of Ireland football but there's probably no squad has a greater competition for places like you, you know you don't. it's not a club you're going to saunter into and be guaranteed a starting place I know I think that's the character you got to pick to come in someone's willing to fight for a place I think well I know our manager doesn't give anyone the right to play in our team and, and they've got to earn that so uh, yeah they know coming into a really successful group and hungry group and uh, they know they need to be right at it to get into the team Just to, to finish it's the first time we've been at a launch that we've had a League of Ireland women's team from Shamrock Rovers how important is that for the growth of the club the development of the club like you know in the, in the eyes of a lot of people you're standard bearers for League of Ireland football that's a significant box for you to tick to now have a team in the Women's National League yeah it's great it's great to have them around Rollstone actually they've been a breath of fresh air uh, really good girls and uh, yeah with Collie and Jason and his staff are doing really good business it's obviously a new team to be a lot of eyes on them but uh, now looking forward to seeing them develop as well it's a great part of the club Damien Amara speaking to Stephen McPhail, the sporting director of Shamrock Rovers. And uh, you heard Stephen mention the uh, women's team there. We'll be speaking about that uh, shortly. The Women's National League we will be hearing from Pearl Slattery. But Paul, in terms of uh, Shamrock Rovers, as we said, going for that uh, four in a row, been so impressive over those uh, three title wins. And uh, obviously the team to beat again this year. Absolutely, and you know they ran them close maybe in the latter stages of the league last year, but they still won the won the title by thirteen points. And you know, looking at the signings that they've made, they've lost Andy Lyons to Blackpool. They've lost Chris McCann, who was it was out of contract. But the players they've brought in, Dave, the likes of Liam Burke, Johnny Kenny, Trevor Clark, Marcus Poom, like these these guys are coming in. And I guess one thing that you might have been worried about, Shamrock Rovers, is that there's probably a couple of players who are coming towards 30 or north of 30 where you maybe thought that it, it could do with a you know a sprinkling of youth and they've certainly found that in, in Clark Kenny and um, Liam Burst and if, if you ask me I think their squad is probably stronger than last year which is a scary thought for many many of the other teams because they've absolutely been the standard setters over the last couple of years they've they've got that know-how of how to win games and win titles and I'm sure there's a, a serious confidence within that squad and within that management team that they've got more than enough to go again because that's the, the point isn't it as you mentioned all these really Really strong players coming into the squad. Okay, they've lost a, a number of important players as well, but these guys are coming into a squad that is used to winning and has that winning mentality that's been built up year after year. So the standards mm. and what they expect from any Shamrock Rovers player are so high. Yeah, I think they've done that really well. I mean, I, I would have been there for Stephen Bradley's first season, and it was throwing a number of, of players together and and kind of hoping that it was going to work without really knowing what what the recipe for success was. I think they've really nailed that down now between the management and the senior players within that squad there is zero tolerance for anything but professionalism within that squad and, and they don't tolerate anybody or anyone who's, who's going to fall short of that mark and you know there's a hunger and there's an experience there of winning titles the likes of Aron and Finn Pico Lopez Graham Burke Gary O'Neill Jack Byrne Richie Till you know these are top top quality players particularly within the League of Ireland but also when you compare and, you, and if you see their performances in Europe these are guys who've done it year in year out now for a number of years and I'm sure they're looking at at this season and they would absolutely love to go and do a League and Cup double um, I'm sure that is absolutely front and centre of their mind and to have another run in Europe because that is something that they've they've mentioned previously before where they want to they want to become a club who are consistently qualifying for European competitions and on the basis of the squad that Stephen Bradley has assembled there there's, there's absolutely 
nothing or there's no question marks in my mind that they haven't got enough quality to go do all of those things. Well, you mentioned uh, League and Cup double. Let's uh, hear from uh, Pearl Slattery, of course, the Women's National League uh, launch also today. And uh, Damien O'Mara spoke to the double-winning Shells captain, Pearl Slattery, and he uh, spoke about the uh, newly formed President's Cup, which uh, is taking place uh, this year also in the women's game. I think that's all you really want, isn't it? As part of the women's game, you want equal things, you want the same things. And I think it's been a game I always really liked watching in the men's game. So when I heard it was coming into the women's game, I was delighted. And I know staff and the group of players are really looking forward to it, you know, against that loan who obviously finished second place with a great cup final against them with great fixtures last year. So I think it's going to be a, a nice tie to kick off the new season. And if you win it, it's the greatest competition in the world. If you lose it, it's just another game of pre-season. Yeah, if you lose it, it doesn't matter. It's just a free, yeah, you're right. But if you win it, it's the first one ever. But look, I think both teams, you want to go in like any game, even pre-season friendlies, we want to win them. Um, so I think it's going to be a competitive fixture. Obviously, at loan really approved over the year last year. So they'll be looking to go one better this year. Such a great and remarkable season for you last year. Is that all banked? Is that all consigned to history now? Or how much do you talk about that ahead of building on it for this season? Yeah, we don't really. Like, we've enjoyed the celebrations before Christmas and then you have time with your family. You come in for pre-season. It's not mentioned, but, like, you know, we'll have players who have done it and then you'll have new players coming into the group and they'll want to feel what we felt the last two years. So that healthy motivation is still around the group. But in terms of, you know, the last two years, they're gone now. And look... We could create history, you know, we could win three in a row, but look, we don't think about that. We think about the President's Cup and then you don't look beyond Cork. We take it game by game, but definitely, especially new players who come into the group, they don't want to feel what we felt. And look, you always enjoy that winning feeling, so the players and the staff that are there are as motivated as ever. But look, we never go into a season saying we're going to win anything. We just want to be up there, thereabouts, competitive um, and competing for everything. And look, every year with Shells, you know, you like to be in that way, you know. And do you welcome the addition of Shamrock Rovers into the league this year? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's been dominating the men's side of the game. I think they should have had a women's, game, or a women's team. And... Um, you know, great that they have now. As I said, I think it brings a new, fresh dimension to the league, um, fresh rivalry. All of a sudden, you're looking at fixtures, shells, rovers, bowls, rovers in the women's game. That's what you want. You want it to be aligned with the men's as much as possible. And we're getting there. And as I said, look, they've a really good structure at that club and stuff like that. So, really, they should have had a women's team. So, for me, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. When we look at the money that they've obviously put into it and the players they've managed to poach, they will be there or thereabouts. You know, you, you can talk about it distorting the league from the off, but they will be in the mix towards the end of the year, one would imagine. Well, I, I, I'd assume, they're hoping so, everything they pumped into it. And I think, look, pressure's not on us. We've kind of did our talking on the pitch the last two years. We've got the two cup finals, won two titles. There's no pressure's coming on us into, into the new season. I think the pressure's probably on them, what they've pumped in, what, you know, the players they've got, they've probably got to pick it, who they've wanted. But I also don't think it'll be as easy either. You know, a lot of individuals that'll have to gel together, but I'm sure... That's a worry for them. Look, my concern is the teams as well who've been in the league and very, very close to titles the last few years. He'll be very hungry to go one more. And look, for me, it's, it's not about other teams. I always focus on shells and we take it step by step. Pearl Slattery speaking to Damien O'Mara at today's lunch. And Paul, obviously, was mentioned there in the interview the uh, introduction of Shamrock Rovers to the Women's League. It really does add a, a very interesting element, doesn't it? Uh, it does. I mean, the mind games have already <laughs> begun there with Pearl Slattery. Uh, she speaks so well firstly but yeah no she she made a very good point there about Shamrock Rovers and you know the facilities that they bring and the environment that they bring to the women's game and they can only be an addition and I mean 
you know, you look at, at the additions that they made to the men's squad and the resources that they have to play, they're certainly flexing a bit in the women's game. I mean, Stephanie Roach, Anya O'Gorman, even Collie O'Neill, who I know very well, will be a great addition. And it'll be interesting to see how those individuals come together and how they can perform because it's been a really interesting league over the last two years with the likes of Shells, Athlone, Piment and Wexford. This season always seems to come down to the last couple of weeks and if, if Shamrock Rovers can get themselves into the mix, well then it just adds a bit of quality, it gives a new face and uh, it gives another sense of competitiveness to the league. So you listen, women's football as a whole, Dave, whether it be the national team or whether it be the, the national league here, it's only going one way and Shamrock Rovers can only aid that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I think everybody looking forward to the start of the uh, new League of Ireland season uh, next week and of course the, uh, the women's uh, season as well as well as the uh, first division all to come uh, stay with us we're going to be speaking about uh, ladies football in a moment Game on Ladies football now, Kerry are the only side with maximum points after three rounds of games in the Lidl Ladies National Football League the Kingdom beat Donegal at the weekend Nadine Doherty joins me now for the regular Wednesday evening ladies football slot and we'll, uh, of course, speak about the Kingdom shortly. But, uh, Nadine, uh, I suppose let's start with the defending league and All-Ireland champions, Meath. Uh, blanket defences in operation in their draw with Galway, so perhaps no surprise that the game produced no goals. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. It was a, it was a strange one in that, you know, I look at Galway and the explosive performance they put in the week before against Dublin. And as I was watching the game, I thought, why did Galway, you know, not take the same approach that saw them destroy a brilliant Dublin team the week before? You know, they pressed high, they had real energy all over the pitch and they went toe-to-toe with Dublin, moved the ball really fast and attack. And then against me, they just went back to that format that they adapted against Donegal, whereby, as you said, listen, it was blanket defence, um, blanket defence on both sides. But just, I was disappointed with Galway and their attack. You know, you've Chloe Miskell there. She's one of the most difficult attackers to defend one-on-one. And throughout the game, it seemed that her role was to kick the ball from the left corner forward to the top of the D. They played the possession game and, you know, even at that goal, they probably deserve to win it and, and they'll be asking themselves, you know, how they needed a last-minute free from Evo Rourke to, to level the game. You know, they dominated that second half but they just couldn't really translate it on the scoreboard because of the, the slow pace to their attack and play. But look, Meath will definitely be happier of the two teams and you know Meath have progressed week on week Dave I, I felt they've really improved in certain areas and what I found really impressive about them at that week at the weekend was you know they had numbers back yet again but they really showed glimpses of I suppose that type of form that has won them to All-Ireland you know they were real dogged in defence they got huge numbers pressing the ball and look a huge positive for them as well Emma Duggan came on in the second half kicked three brilliant points you know one for a free and put that with their defensive display they're creating you know not too many chances at the minute but what they're they're very good at they're very resourceful and you know their their score count they're probably at 70% in terms of their you know transferring that um chances to to score so they'll be happy with that and you know, look, I, I felt a huge positive from the game as well. Was Meath were back in Park Tolchin, a full house of supporters. It was absolutely brilliant to see. And, you know, those supporters are a real credit to to Meath and, and to Jay fans in general. And it'd be great if other counties took note and, and followed suit with their support. But look, a bit of a a bit of a dampener of a game, but a few positives, a few. Okay, let's move on to the Cork uh, Dublin game. Really entertaining game. Uh, seven goals, Cork three fifteen, Dublin four thirteen. One to remember. 
Oh, Dave, it was absolutely brilliant. I mean, in comparison to the game that was before it, massively entertaining. And you know what it was? You had, you had two management teams, I feel, who kind of threw systems out the window. They just both played open and direct football. And it was very clear that both sets of management, you know, they're looking at new players. They're looking at blood and, you know, new young players. And, and in terms of systems, that, that didn't really matter at the weekend. I suppose looking at them a little bit closer, Cork were absolutely fabulous in attack at times, you know, really impressive. Katie Quirk, Emer Kiley, you know, they look like really good players. And what I felt with Cork, you know, they switched off for those 15 minutes and, and Dublin were fantastic in, in taking those chances. But a big thing for Cork, for some reason, they took Marie O'Callaghan from around centre field where she usually plays put her into full back and it completely backfired. I mean, Hannah Turrell had a field day. They then decided to put Hannah Looney back there. Again, they missed her presence in the middle. So while the Cork management team, I suppose, kind of pinpointed the, the players themselves for switching off for those 15 minutes, I thought the sideline should really put up their hands and take a bit of uh, responsibility for that. And listen, Cork's old Achilles heel over the last five years, their kickouts absolutely destroyed them. And, and Dublin, you know, crucified them. They scored two or three goals in that first half directly from the restart. But, you know, things to work on for Cork. And, you know, I suppose equally Dublin had their woes with their kickouts over the years and, and Abby Shields gift to Cork with their equalising goal direct from a kickout. So both teams will look at that. Look, Dublin would be happier, I suppose. You know, they showed huge resilience in those last five minutes to come back from being a point down. And and Carla Rowe, you know, again, brilliant player to step up to the plate. She scored those two frees. But what, a, you know, what a game. What a brilliant game. And I suppose the referee let it flow at times, but he also, you know, pulled it up at very strange times. He was, he was a bit inconsistent now, which was quite frustrating. Not for the first time, the Dublin manager, Mick Bone, has been speaking about, I suppose, from his point of view, a growing frustration about the uh, the lack of physicality in the game and he's pushing for a possible rule change. I mean, I know that this has been uh, spoken about before, but where do you stand on this right now? Ah, oh, yeah, I'd agree 100% with Mick Bone. And you know what? He's he's dead right to, to bring it up every season. He's just bringing it up a bit earlier this year. And I suppose he has to... The fact, Dave... The fact is, you know, the sport is class is non-contact and it's ridiculous because if that's supposed to be the case, then the whistle will be blown every three seconds. And I know there is a bit of a reluctance on behalf of the LGFA to change the rules because they don't want that contact at underage. But the reality is, if you go to an underage game, you know, it already exists. And as I said, I agree with McBohan and, and a change in the rules. It's just badly needed to reflect what's currently happening on every pitch across the country at all levels. They just need to legalise the body contact because players are consistently using it and occasionally getting punished for it. That's that's the problem, you know, and I feel a change would remove this interpretive style. I suppose many referees currently have the freedom to adopt and, and that's where the inconsistencies come from and that's where the, I suppose, the frustration and the irritation on and off the pitch with both players and management, you know, that that's where it's stemming from. Listen, there were a few attempts at Congress last year, a few different counties proposed real changes. They were voted down. I would just encourage county boards, if that's what they want, and I feel if they're listening to their players, that's what they should do, um, that if they just keep going to Congress, and I would hope eventually a rule will change that will just reflect what's happening on the pitch, you know, and that's the reality of it. 
Now, Waterford beating Mayo. Waterford went 20 minutes without a score in the second half of that game, but they still had enough. And another disappointing performance, I suppose, and disappointing result for Mayo. Yeah, I suppose starting with Waterford, as you said, you know, 20 minutes without a score, it's kind of been a little bit of a pattern in their play. And they've created plenty of opportunities in their three games to date, but they've they've just struggled at times. And, you know, that's what happened against Kerry. They lost the game because they went for a long spell without a score. And, you know, they drew with Cork again for that reason. But they were able to hold on on Sunday. You know, the game was played at a good pace and that was dictated really by Waterford, Dave. You know, and for Mayo, again, it was another slow start, a poor first half. And they're just in games, they're constantly trying to claw back a big deficit. You know, they struggled with Waterford's I suppose you could say like Waterford are very combative, you know, they they play real direct football and that's what we're used to seeing from them over the last few years. And Mayo just couldn't handle their pace. And I, you know, I said it last week, Mayo's defending at the minute. It's a huge, huge problem for them. You know, they're probably scoring enough at the other end to, to get, get through matches. They should be getting through matches and getting results, but they're basic one-on-one defending at the minute. It's really, really poor. You know, at times they have decent shape and they have, good numbers back but their execution of the tackle has just been terrible and lacks discipline and I don't know the stats but I'm sure the Mayo management team do they gave away a huge amount of freeze inside their own half so you know they've, they've conceded 7-25 in three games and they haven't scored a goal of their own so they have a lot of work to do over this break um, but look they have the squad to do it they have the talent to do it but you know at the minute they're they're in the relegation zone and they, they will be worried and their next game is against me at home in two weeks so you know they're they're facing a few difficult weeks in terms of fixtures and um, yeah they'll be worried and I suppose in terms of Waterford you know you look at Waterford and they've made small gains and, and small changes over the last few years and you know it's reflecting in their performances in 2023 and even look at the club scene you know Bally McCarbury from Waterford beat Morn Abbey from Cork in the in Munster this year and you know that could be a sign of things to come at, at, at county level and I feel Waterford deserve a little bit of a break because they have been working really hard over the last few years. And as I said, they're making those improvements and, and they're bearing fruit now. So, yeah, they'll be a team to watch, I feel, come championship for sure. And Kerry have been very quick out of the blocks in terms of the wins. Another win uh, against uh, Donegal, 210 to 111. But while Kerry are winning, you're not overly impressed with them so far. No, I suppose looking looking back at their league campaign last year, and again, you have to admit they were in Division 2. What I loved about Kerry last year in the league and throughout the champion, championship, I suppose, it was their real free-flowing football. And and again, look, they're, they're looking at themselves now as All-Ireland contenders. So in that sense, I suppose they're changing their format, changing their systems. Um, they haven't been overly impressive to watch, but they're building and you can see that and at the weekend they made nine changes in the last quarter so that's a real indication from a management team that they want to look at players they want to try out as many players as they can and they're not going to peak too too soon so I don't think they'll be too worried about what I think about them in terms of their their impressive play but uh, the game itself listen it was even enough um, and Kerry did lead for most of the game but you know they needed that penalty from Louise Navarra-Hertig to get them over the line and, and put that breathing space between them and Donegal. And, 
you know, you're looking at Donegal, very different to Kerry in terms of where they're at. You know, they have a real young experimental team at the minute. But what I what I am liking about this Donegal team, while they're not getting the results, they're showing huge resilience, Dave, and they have to get credit for that for such a young team. Um, you know, yet again at the weekend, they were there, thereabouts, coming into the last couple of minutes of a game. And, you know, I criticised them the last few weeks. You know, they'd only scored, I think, maybe 11 points, I think it was, in total in their previous two games. And they went out this week and, and scored 111. And huge credit to Suzanne White. She's taken a huge amount of, I suppose, responsibility in terms of scoring. And I think her tally was maybe 1-5 or 1-6 again at the weekend. And, and Donegal will feel very unlucky not to have, have left Kerry with at least a point. But again, you know, no more than um, no more than Mayo. Donegal face a, a couple of tough, tough um, matches now in the next few weeks. I, I think they have Waterford at home in two weeks and they really need to get something from that, I feel. Even a draw to be... I suppose to have a, have a little bit of confidence going into the last few games that will ensure they stay up in Division 1. Great stuff, Nadine. Always good to talk to you and we'll uh, speak to you again uh, looking forward to the uh, resumption of the league in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you. Game on. Ladies football.